This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Ward Scott Files and the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Mellon Law Studio. 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida. And uh, we are in the piney woods of uh, North Central Florida here in God's country. And of course, uh, we're protected by crime prevention 24 7 365 at cpss.net. Check out the mugshots. We are going to connect, hopefully, with a guest here in a little bit, Timothy Head. I'm not sure um, what the connections are. We're coming in from a, another area here from here. And if we don't get connected in, in a moment, I'll ask uh, production to uh, I'll take a break for a second and see if I can help connect uh, our guests. Um, the, uh, I'm going to take a moment to give you a, um, uh, a story here that is going to be coming out soon. We're going to break it right now. And uh, we're going to just say according to many sources, because it has not been officially posted yet. But this is according to many, many sources. Um, stay seated, please, when I tell you this. Um, but the um, criminal charges against uh, Grotos and Riles have been dropped by the state attorney. Now, that is information I'm giving you according to many, many sources, many reliable sources. We do not have the documentation yet. It has not been posted. When it's posted, we'll give you the documentation. Of course, this is a story we've been covering for a long time, and it's been uh, – uh, something that uh, we um, have been looking at uh, expectantly um, uh, in many, many ways. See if I can get a uh, uh, feel for who's out there watching right now. I've got a, so many plates I'm spinning right now. It's uh, tough to get them all managed. But uh, anyway, the um, uh, see if I can get you live here on my own computer. I can't seem to get that right now. This has been a problem, I think, uh, since Facebook redid its deal. I've uh, been able, unable to pull my own live video here readily. I'm not sure why, but um, um, there it is. Um, I can't still see who's on, the, who's on the line here around with me. But anyway, uh, that is the situation. It will be um, public very soon, and uh, we're going to go ahead and let you know it's coming. There are many, many ramifications to this. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, implications to it and uh, stories that will ensue from this. I assure you uh, that it will begin to roll out as these things happen. And, and um, uh, we'll uh, try to uh, keep you up to date on um, the most penetrating documentation we can get you. Um, and we are going to try to get the whole thing out there to you. It may be serialized. It may come out in pieces, but we'll be uh, nevertheless keeping you up to date on it. So I want to repeat that according to many, many uh, re, uh, um, reliable resources here, sources I'm saying that we've got, um, the charges have been dropped. This has been expected by us for a long, long time. And as I say, there are all sorts of implications for what I see now got checked in here. Uh, Ray Stern, um, Yes, there are some activities in the legal world that are going to ensue from this. Um, promise you, I promise you that. And uh, it's not going to be um, necessarily, for some, a happy ending. So uh, going to uh, 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 keep you abreast of that as we go along. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask, um, this is unusual, but I'm going to ask them, um, uh, production to take just a short break production. Uh, let's run a little something here for a moment while I see if I can find out uh, where our guest is. Okay, Nation?
Okay, good. I'll uh, take a break until I say I'm coming back, if you would, please, because I don't know how long it's going to take. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back this up with somebody else if I can't get. Um... All these. Okay. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh, my goodness. And he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Although Timothy the Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in okay. June. Chevron would like to up? recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. All right, welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. We're going to do the weather a little bit later. Uh, we have, uh, don't know where our other guests went, but we've been uh, talking with uh, Len Cabrera for quite a while now to see if we can have a discussion about single-member districts, which I had placed on the uh, file today. Len, are you there? <laughs> I think he's going to be coming on in a minute. I tell you, friends, uh, this is a this is a tough day at work. Um, uh, I think he's checking in. Let me see if I can get him. Um, you may hear my comments here. Um, <laughs> hang on, friends. You coming on? Okay. Well, he's trying to load. So let me say, uh, let me just repeat the story that I was saying that um, uh, reliable sources have it that we're going to be, uh, of course, announcing soon formally that the charges have been dropped against uh, Rotos and Riles and that we expected this for quite some time. And um, the ramifications of that are going to be uh, rolled out as they develop. The other thing we're going to be talking about today is um, um, here's Len Cabrera with us now. He's got uh, uh, Len Cabrera. I'm going to introduce him in a moment. He's um, um, a great um, behind-the-scenes kind of fellow here in our community. Of course, he and his wife have a lot of Chronicle, which we partner with, try to do a job of keeping you informed. Uh, they do most of their work through the written word, and I do most of my work through the, the talk show host, if you will. But uh, we oftentimes uh, collaborate on what we're doing, and we've been keeping an eye on the single-member districts issue. And Len wrote a great article, was published in uh, Electoral Chronicle, about single-member districts. So I asked him if he would like to come on. We've had a couple of scheduling glitches, and my bad, uh, when I've not had my uh, uh, calendar right. But uh, Len, welcome to the Ward Scott Files. Thanks for having me on. A little background on you. A lot of people don't know you as well, of course. They do your wife, I'm sure. So can you give them... Uh, your credentials, if you would, sir. <laughs> uh, I'm just an analyst. You're right? just, just an like analyst. Jack Ryan said, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was an analyst in the Air Force for 20 years and, uh, and finished off my career teaching economics because they sent me off here to UF to get my PhD in economics. So you were an analyst in the Air Force. What did you analyze? I started off doing uh, flight tests 
for acquisition systems, different things. Some big programs. I worked on B2, a couple other big programs, but also a bunch of little things as, as small as like replacing barrels on machine guns for uh, AppSoc for helicopters or updates to um, navigation systems. It's so, kind of yeah. a, a lot of little things, all very varied and different. Um, but then after I got my PhD, I kind of burned my bridges with the flight test world because I turned down a slot to test pilot school. So uh, then I started doing logistics. So I was working at Transportation Command. And since I was at a joint unit, it wasn't just Air Force stuff. I was doing uh, analysis for fuel distribution through Afghanistan, uh, a bunch of other stuff. Well, that's very interesting. Gives you a, a background perfectly suited to delve into the mysteries of Alachua County, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm not prepared for all the stuff I'm seeing here. <laughs> How did you and your wife get started with the Elatra Chronicle? Uh, this is her baby. It's kind of her her hobby that we turned into a business. Uh, she actually just got frustrated with the Gainesville Sun because she'd be reading it. And even though the story was accurate and correct, the headlines half the time weren't even related to the story. So she got frustrated that it's like they're just trying to paint a narrative and that they have an, a blatant agenda and she just got frustrated she's looking at it and she's thinking i can do better than this even though she doesn't have a background in journalism she's an electrical engineer and uh she she just started downloading the agendas for meetings and watching the meetings and seeing what was reported or not reported so she just started reporting on it herself so her her main focus is looking at local government mainly the city of gainesville and Alachua County commission meetings, because that's what influences everybody or impacts everybody in the county. Uh, lately, we've had a big push on covering crime uh, for the last year and a half or so. Ever since uh, the Gainesville Sun stopped running their mugshot website, a whole bunch of people called out to us and said, hey, can you take this over? Can you take this over? And we looked at it and thought, oh, I don't know if we can, but we, we've been doing it. So we, we publish the jail booking log every morning so everybody sees all the crime, because the Gainesville Sun's parent company was talking about, oh, this is horrible because it reinforces negative stereotypes. I'm like, how is the news reinforcing a stereotype? The news is the news. It's what happened. It's If you yeah. pick and choose what you're reporting, yeah, but we're showing the entire booking log. Here's everybody that was booked. Here are the charges. Right? It's up to you to decide, are the cops being racist? Are they doing frivolous charges? Or is there actually a crime problem in Gainesville? County. Yeah, we link to it and we get enormous number of hits a month, uh, as I'm sure you do. And Jennifer told me once, thanks for linking to it because that rebounds back with you guys. And we it's amazing how many hits a month. And I'll go into a bank or somewhere and do routine business and the teller will say, oh, yeah, I saw the website. I saw the mugshots. You know, people really want to know what's going on. And you're right. This is a form of censorship, a wokeness, if you will. And it's just uh, fundamentally true. This is the booking log. Um, how do you reconcile the data with the pictures? Who puts that together? How do you put that together? The, it's all public record. So the jail itself, they have a website where they have an inmate lookup. So where you can just go in and type in a name. You can pull up anybody who is currently at the jail. They have pictures of them. And then you can drill down on that and look at the charges who filed the charges? Was it ASO? Was it GPD? Was it some other law enforcement agency? And it talks about, it just lists the charges. If you want more details, you have to go to the court website and then drill down. So that's the latest of what Jennifer has been doing because we see a lot of repeat customers, if you will. It's kind of, even though we don't have a Soros prosecutor, maybe I shouldn't say that. You might want to beep that out, but uh, no, no, that's okay. we, we do see the same kind of revolving door policy at the jail and the, you know, the, well, all the you stuff met- that you see going on in California is going on here. So we keep seeing these repeat offenders like a right. week apart, two weeks. And we're, so now if we, if we write a specific story, we go back and look at, well, here's, they were charged with this and let go, or the charges were dropped. We've seen several cases where you have some, even, People with gun crimes, right? There's all this. They even had a press conference last week about gun crimes and, and oh, bringing yeah. it under control, oh, which yeah. they seem to do every 12 months. Yeah. But you have somebody with with gun crimes and the prosecuting office never filed charges. So the guy gets left out and then he does the exact same crime again. And so we're, we're trying to bring people's attention to that. What, what I was referring to is how you match the picture with the written. Uh, do you do that manually? 
match the picture with the it, it, um yes that's time consuming so, so it's just by name yeah so we we throughout the day because once they get out and you know some people it's amazing they get arrested at 3 a.m and they're out by 7 a.m but you manually and, go and, through uh, you manually go through and match that picture with the description yeah because once because once they're out the pictures are no longer available so we're throughout the day we're we're downloading pictures and then when we get the booking log we just match them up manually that's heroic. You know, that is really something. Uh, if That's, there were a program for that, it would be, you know, not nearly as tedious, but you should be commended for that because, as, uh, as I say, we link to it and bring it over to our site. And so people are either looking at you or looking at us. And I'm also on the board of Crime Stoppers. And I'm going to confirm what you just said, Lynn. We see the same people being We'll get tips from the, on the same people, do the same stuff, on, go to jail, get out, turn around, do the same stuff. On a program yesterday, I, 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 I ran a, an analysis, if you'd like analysis, about 1% of the crime is repeated by the same hardcore guys. And this whole myth about that we ran into, for example, with the felons in the jail, oh, they're hapless souls, they didn't know what they're doing. We're dealing with guys who are hardened, committed criminals. You know, they they know what they're doing or what they can't do. Uh, one shouldn't be that naive about that. Anyway, we're talking with Len Cabrera and his wife, Jennifer Cabrera, who started really what was widely needed here was a substitute for the Gainesville Sunset, what I call the Gainesville Sunset, which I think maybe you helped drive into some sort of semi-oblivion because um, their paper now is thin enough to read uh, uh, the, you know, <laughs> see through it when you try to read it. But um, you guys do a great job. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, I'm going to play the devil. I, I just, I think it's an uphill rock to push to passing lumber districts in a county that's predominantly Democrat because of the lies that are being told about um, single-member districts, principle of which is being told by Ken Cornell, who should not be talking. He should be recusing himself. And the city, the county manager should tell those commissioners to stand down. I was a manager. You can go to those commissioners and say, recuse yourself. You have a vested interest in this. It's no different than if you were buying real estate from the, from the county as a, and getting insider trading, so to speak. This really irks me that this guy is allowed to sit out there and comment on dark money. Dark money is what the people are driven to when they can't get any recourse through the public forums. That's my spiel on that, Len. Yeah, I don't know if, if you got a chance to see it or if you could put on the press conference that he had uh, with the NAACP where they were complaining about the dark money and they, they called out Stafford Jones specifically and were outing. I, I thought they were going to start reading down his list of donors, but uh, they, they mentioned, I think he's on the chair of four different packs and they mentioned right. the names of them and they're calling it all dark money. and. I'm thinking, wait, what's dark about it? It's all it's all right there in the election websites where you can look it up. It's all public record. It's required by law to be public record. Right. But well, they just use the, the term to be inflammatory. Yeah, they use, a, they use the term because I think the connotations of it will stir the emotions. And they want people to make decisions with emotions rather than their head because that's basically how they keep that herd in the corral. I mean, that the Democrats with the blacks and the liberal whites. So that's the, that's the bunch you've got to, to me, the key to passing single member district to get, would be to get a fracture in the black community that would see they really have more opportunities with single member districts than they do not. Uh, But that's a tough sell when your own quote unquote leaders uh, are steering them the other way. I think for their own selfish reasons, by the way. Yeah, so I, I put in my original column, I think, from December of last year, I pointed out, I think, the percentage of, of blacks in Alachua County, and that's not voting age, it's just because you can't get that in the census breakdown, and I don't care enough to go looking for all the different details. It's, you know, I write about this stuff every now and then, but this is not my passion. I actually hate doing it. Um, but I think it's 21% blacks in Alachua County. So if you're going countywide, well, they're never going to have a majority. They're not guaranteed to ever get a black representative. And if you were to draw the districts, I'm not saying you should do this because 
it would be illegal. I think uh, Jacksonville just got in trouble for this. But it is possible when you split up the county into five districts, one of those districts is likely to have over 21 percent black population. So then you could argue that that actually makes it more likely to have black representation on the county commission. But one of the, the pushbacks that we get is not so much about the representation. They're complaining that, oh, this is going to make Republicans be on the commission. And that is not an argument that I've ever made. And I, I found it interesting because of that press conference that Ken Cornell had. Uh, Stafford Jones was interviewed by uh, WCJB TV 20 yesterday, and they also had Evelyn Fox from the local NAACT chapter. Because the accusation is that his, his PAC was paying for mailers showing the NAACP, the national organization, their right. position, where they're actually filing lawsuits and they, they've had resolutions. And they specifically say that you need single member districts because at-large voting dilutes the black vote and is uh, bad. I, I forgot what the official racial term is right, when you got to use the stuff. But she goes on there. I, I think it's hilarious because... The local chapter is different. They're for it within the city of Gainesville, but they're against it in the county. And it has nothing to do with political governance. It's all about power. And I thought it was hilarious because you look at the quote that she said. I have it right here where she's talking about um, the national uh, organization. Say, oh, they well, they previously supported single member districts to give minorities a better chance of getting elected. But now that could raise the chances of getting Republicans elected. She's against it. So it has nothing to do with black representation. It's all party politics. It's all about their power because same thing, you know, if you, if you wanted black representation, I recall two years ago, you had Ty, uh, Ty Apia, sorry, trying to get on the ballot to run for city commission and they wouldn't let him get on. I don't remember the local NAACP chapter coming to his defense. It wasn't the color of his skin. It was a letter that came after his name. Correct. Uh, they, they're very uh, racist, really very racist by their declaration. They become themselves racist. Um, by I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's racist. I would just say that they're a political party. Well, but It, they it has nothing race, to do with race. Well, they play the race card. That's their focus, yes. Yeah, they play the race card to keep the power. And, and, uh, and, and, and yet they are running afoul or against the national. We know page 66 is where the resolution is. I've seen the, the whole national NAACP document on page 66 in no uncertain terms it says we are for single member districts and 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 uh, i mean it, it, look at the way it was used for corinne brown for example uh, that was a district carved out to ensure her representation it was a single member district you know uh it turned out the way they cut it up which is another story the commissioners if the single member district were to pass would carve up the districts they would create yeah, the I mean, there's they're supposed to be laws against gerrymandering, but that's eventually what's going to end up happening. Right. They will carve up the districts the way it still keeps them in power. Now, if you do a pie chart, which is I've seen so many configurations of districts, if you do a pie chart and you break up the central power group of Gainesville and you break, you know, like a spoke and the, and the yeah. pie chart goes around the center of Gainesville. Uh, right now, Gainesville controls the whole thing because. Uh, predominantly, that's where the bulk of the Democrats are, and that's where the bulk of the power lies in that. Well, you can boil it down to the duck pond, really, pretty much. If you drive around in the duck pond and see the signs for whom they advocate, uh, you'll see right away what the, the lay of the land is. So um, the only other thing I could think of that I don't think will never happen, Lynn, is open primaries. If you had open, but neither party will do it because both parties use it. But if you had open, you have open primaries, then you could actually vote for the best person. Both Republican, Democrat, independents, all, because you wouldn't have a label next to the candidate. You see, I was a victim of the closed primary when I ran against Barley in, you know, I've slept since then, so I can't remember when it was, um, many years ago. And um, the, Dem the, the Democrats would not support me even though I was a Democrat at the time, because they were in, I wasn't far enough left for them. And I was really naive. I didn't know any of this stuff then. And the Republicans would not put anybody up against me because they liked me so much. So all the Republicans and about half the Democrats 
were going to vote for me in the primary. And at the last minute, a guy named, well, I'll keep his name quiet, engineered a write-in who didn't even have an address, a bogus address, who walked in at the last second, so, geez, I think I'd like to run. That closes those primaries. So therein would really be a way to truly open it up. But I don't think, you may know this, I asked around about this yesterday in anticipation of our conversation. Could the legislature spot use open primaries? I don't think so. You can spot use single member districts, but I don't think you can spot use open primaries. It'd have to be, if it were so for Alachua County, would it not have to be so for every other county in the state? I'm not sure. Uh, when I looked into this, it's just so nebulous because you look at the the state constitution talks about um, the counties being set up and that they're just it just says that they have commissioners that are elected as provided by law. And then you go look at the statutes and the statutes just say, oh, it's going to have uh, five or seven districts of roughly equal population with the commissioners elected by the qualified electors as specified by the constitution they just point back at each other and it, it there's nothing there and when you when you look at it the statutes are so bad it's not just the criminal statutes all the statutes are just horribly written because <laughs> i'm about to get uh sorry about that <laughs> well, you got the cat in there with you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> put her on put her on <laughs> well, um, you know, some of the statutes are badly written on purpose as we know uh, so it's difficult to enforce them and there opens up the job of interpretation for the for the illegal world, you know. Yeah. So going back to the single member district thing, if you read qualified electors, in my mind, that means the people in the district vote for the representative for the district. That's what representative government means. But sometime after that statute was written, they added a second statute that default makes everything at large and then gives you the requirements to change it to single district. And this is why. Um, uh, Chuck Clemens and Keith Perry put the bill into the legislature to force a vote because the statute makes it nearly impossible for the citizens to bring single member districts up to a vote. If you go look through the details, it's very specific. You have to submit a ballot request. It has to be written a certain way. You have to get a certain number. You have to do it as a petition twice. You have to do it once just to show interest in it, and you have to pay for all of those signatures to be verified. And once you submit it, if the supervisor election starts crossing off names, you can't add more names once you submit it. I mean, it just purposely makes it hard to get it done. And after you go through the first time with like 1% of the, of the uh, voting population, then they, you come back and throw it on the ballot and you have to do it a second time with 10%, I think. And then you get it on the ballot and it's up to the sitting commissioners to follow through with it. So which goes back to the whole vested interest thing. It's the whole thing is just really shady. As you read it, it just you just dark thoughts start coming in your mind that whoever wrote this really intended this to not happen. Well, I've been through that process a couple of times, Lynn, and um, uh, I've been involved with two decades of charter review committees. And I've been involved with them as a chair of the Rural Concerns Advisory Committee. The first one before this one, which I guess was 20 years ago, uh, boy, time flies. You're having fun. What you also have to remember is that each charter review representative is appointed by a commissioner. So that person becomes an extension of the commissioner's interests or the commissioner would not appoint them. Now, supposedly, I think there's 13 members of it. Uh, supposedly, there are some commissioners who actually appoint somebody who has his own mind. But they're never the dominant number. Um, they, they, in fact, they'll get frustrated and quit, as we had in the second one. We had one fellow there who was an independent you know, mind who would weigh it on the merits and demerits. And he realized the deck was stacked. And he quit right in the middle of the Charter Review Commission, realizing this is bogus. And you had the same old power mongers of the community, Penny Wheat, uh, Joe Little, God knows they put him on everything. He should have been out of there because he was a law professor who intimidated the other commission, uh, charter members. So the simple matter is that the commission itself, by a simple majority, could put the measure on the ballot. They do it with wild spaces and all these other things. 
Well, you see, you see what I'm saying? It's their, in their interest. Yeah. Now they'll they'll sack the deck a little bit because they realize I better put roads in there too. You know, just so I can drag those people in. Wink, wink. We're not going to really do roads, but we'll put roads in there so that we can get wild spaces or whatever they want to call it passed. So they do that. They do that. They could do the same thing with similar member districts because it's really voter suppression. Let the voters decide. The voters are going to decide on the wild spaces. Why don't you let them divide, decide on the single member district? Oh, no. Oh, no. Can't do that. You know, so that forces the public to do the next step, what you just described. If a charter review doesn't put it on, which they didn't twice, then you've got to go to the tedious measure you just described. And each one of those ballot signatures, or I mean, uh, petition signatures, you're going to have to get a professional organization to pay to put them because you will never have enough manpower and time to explain it yourself. You can imagine, Len, standing in front of Walmart with a clipboard tapping people on the shoulder saying, would you please sign this on single-member districts? They go, huh? They don't have a clue what you're talking about. So now you're standing out there in front of Walmart for 20 minutes talking to one person who can't get it to get them sign a petition. You'll never get the petitions. And then you've got a narrow window of time, which you described, during which they must be presented in legally acceptable language. you got to hire a lawyer. We figured it would cost about a quarter of a million dollars, Lynn, for the citizens to put the ballot measure on the ballot. A quarter of a million dollars. So now Cornell, he know, Cornell knows this. So now we're forced to do what? Dark money? Are you kidding me? Thankfully, we have got a little more organization. We've been blocked every time. So let's go do it the way you can legitimately do it. Pack money and, and you know, raise that kind of money and get it organized. And that's where we are. And they call it dark money. So they could they could eliminate this whole thing. And I don't know if, you know, who knows what would pass. I mean, they must think it's going to pass. They're so afraid of it. You know, I was, in looking at all this election stuff, because I had pointed out that Ken Cornell would not have won had there been single member districts. And he, in fact, removed where his challenger, who would have won in the district, was actually a black man. So... You can see here yeah. where the at-large is, is preventing that. But when I was doing that, I also was going back and looking at uh, previous elections because I was trying to find all this stuff. And I realized that in the previous gubernatorial election, Alachua County voted 70-30 for Gillum over DeSantis. Yes. Yes. And the sheriff. And just, just let that sink in for a little bit. The sheriff endorsed him. Sadie Darnell and, and endorsed him. Sadly, given everything we know now, it would probably still be the same. Yes, it wouldn't have changed. It wouldn't have changed. I mean, uh, it's uh, this is a place where the collective sanity is, <laughs> you know, I joke it's populated by the UFO landing in 1947 by the Lake of the Stupids, which junk, uh, dumped out the genetic material for the inhabitants of the county now. I mean, how else can you explain it? I mean, they don't, you know, these, this county, I don't know how long you've been here, Len, we haven't gotten around to talking about that, but you paradoxically has collected in one place supposedly the brightest people in the county, right? But paradoxically, they're most closed-minded. <laughs> I, I look at it another way. I just think that of all the counties in Florida, I think this is the one where reality matters the least. And I say that because... <laughs> oh, I, I say that the because the major employer, the, the main industry of Alachua County is farming grants. Whether it's the University of Florida, GPD, the county, everyone basically sets all of their expectations and their budgets based on getting grant money from the state, from the feds, from private organizations. It just, it's completely detached from reality. They don't actually have to produce anything. And that's kind of my observation of Alachua County. I love it. I love it. I have to uh, I, I uh, actually got a big belly laugh out of that, detached from reality, which explains it very, very well. Uh, they, <laughs> I don't know. And, and then they also, Lynn, they want to get an idea. They travel to another community that is detached from reality. <laughs> and, <laughs> 
So they'll go to Portland or they'll go to someplace that's equally uh, detached and get an idea and bring it back. It won't generate out of the local need of the local community. It's always superimposed over the community from some ideologue located, to use your uh, analogy, in another detached reality community elsewhere in the United States. And furthermore, Len, these graduates from these universities that have all this urban planning theory and everything are told if you want to go practice your trade and get out, go to Alachua County because they'll turn you loose. And, uh, you know, you can try out this traffic configuration or you can try out this, you know, whole deal because they'll tolerate it and buy into it. And that's Yeah, I, I, I think part of it is, and then this is the danger of having that kind of single party representation, single party control over an area is that the administration of government, which should be professionals who are there to do a specific task, right, to manage something, not to fundamentally change it, right? They're just making sure that the lights work, that the trash is picked up, that the streets are safe. That's the function of the government administration. But what happens is that you end up filling all these administrative positions with activists instead of professionals. And that's how you end up with the uh, county manager looks like a lobbyist, right? He doesn't look like he's managing the county. He's out there attacking people. He's pleading the case before the legislature. He's, He's going around defending the commissioners. That's not his job. Well, you know, um, I was a city manager, so I know a little bit about how that works. And what happens to those managers is they get intimidated by the commissioners because they can be fired by a simple majority. And they don't need a reason to vote no. It's just that you rubbed them the wrong way. So the, the ideal relationship, and very few can do it, is the manager manages the city. The commission sets the policy, but then the manager puts it into practice. And what I learned when I was managing, you got to make those commissioners look as if they took credit for it. You just always make them look good, you know. But meanwhile, you're doing the work and the heavy lifting, but you're letting them show up at the shovel digging. You're letting we have classic examples of that even here in the city of Alachua. you know, politicians mooching off the work, if you will, of the manager. And ideally in this relationship, they're not to ever interfere with the staff. We've had commissioners who go down. Barley used to do this, Lynn. He would go into the staff without permission from the manager and intimidate the staff until we, the Ward Scott Files, protested that and said, no, you're not doing that. You keep him out of that staff. You know, there's, there's a process. So these guys um, are really bending the rules all over the place, but nobody knows the rules, so they don't know they're bending them. Um, that's why we got the show, and that's why you got a lot of chronicle, I think, is try to keep people informed. Been talking with Len Cabrera, you know, we're having a great conversation. Uh, you don't mind if I take a little break to uh, applaud some span- uh, sponsors here for a moment, do you, Len? Oh, go ahead. Okay, we'll do that. I appreciate you jumping on to the last minute. We had a little... Um, confusion about what we're going to do when, and that's all my fault because I'm the I'm the one man band here with help from my production crew. We'll be right back. Uh, let's do a little those ads, please. Now, uh, production is that okay? Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are 
Lewis Oil Company. Shoot GTR, on-the-spot dry cleaners, R&R construction, and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. We're going to do a little bit of weather report here. Thanks to Lewis Oil. Great sponsor, Wendell Lewis. Uh, and we have been enjoying here in North Central Florida one of the great months that we enjoy. We enjoy uh, sort of same weather in spring. We've got 64 degrees. We'll really get a little bit warmer today than uh, most of us would like. It'll get up about 87 to high 80s. Uh, but we'll have below 70 temperature at night. So your grass is not growing. You really can cut back on mowing this and that and one thing or another. Uh, the, uh, uh, we're still shortening up our days. Uh, so we'll, we'll uh, still be getting uh, more darkness for a while. In the morning this morning, I drove into town, heavy, heavy dew and fog. And um, that is uh, always a, uh, an iffy situation if you're coming in from the rural countryside. Always be careful in the mornings that you're uh, taking your time and not hurrying. And um, you'll get there hopefully a little bit better. The traffic here, I was very amazed to see as I was going west at 7.15 a.m. was bumper to bumper on Newberry Road from uh, 241 pretty much all the way to I-75. It was amazing to see the number of people we've got coming into this county from other counties or some of our rural communities to work here. And that's always been a representation problem politically because a lot of these people don't get a voice. And uh, that's kind of what we're discussing today uh, with Len Cabrera from Alachua Chronicle, who with his wife, Jenna Cabrera, do an excellent job of really supplanting and replacing ultimately the Gainesville sunset. So uh, enjoy today. It's going to be one of these great fall days, a little bit warm in the afternoon, but you'll still enjoy one of our great fall days in North Central Florida. Uh, Lynn, that's um, uh, is uh, joined me here. We've been trying to put this together for a while. I don't think we'll ever have enough conversations about single member districts. Uh, we'll probably do another show on it. I'll maybe have another guest to get as many people in for you to listen to this from. If you got any questions, put it in the chat line here and I'll look at it and uh, we'll try to pass it along. Um, there are so many, and then Lynn has researched this so well, there are so many apparently deliberate cul-de-sacs of policy in this whole process of creating a government structure that people easily get lost and, and don't know where they are. And Lynn, it's been my experience that a lot of them think they've already got single-member districts because they'll, it says district, you know, and that's one of the first hurdles you have to get over. Yes, and this has led to this problem, does it not? Let's talk about it for a moment. Or your home is where your head is. And so we've got people homesteading in a district they don't quote unquote represent, but quote unquote residing in another district. Now, come on. Anywhere else, that'd be a, I'd be a, that would not be a strike in baseball. I mean, you'd be out doing that stuff, right? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think part of the single member district thing, why people don't understand it is they just don't care about politics. They don't think about governance. To them, it's government is like plumbing, right? I go, I turn the water on, water comes out. I don't worry about where it comes from, how it got there, why it got clean, that why it's safe. It just is. So they turn to government and expect it just runs, right? The roads get paved, the cops get paid, everything is done. I don't need to worry about it. And it's, it's, if you look at my articles or my columns that I wrote about single member districts, I never talk about party politics. I don't talk about who's going to run what. I even specifically said, I don't think single member districts would change anything that's happened in the last 10 years of this county. The left has just gone so far left that, and they still have the majority that it still would have been as crazy. What would change is that you might have somebody stand up and argue against them instead of getting all these unanimous votes. Um, so since I bring up that it's all about how you structure government, I, I wanted to reference these. My wife hates when I do this, but I, I like quoting old, old dead people. So it, my favorite is uh, Madison, who wrote the Constitution. And I made several quotes from uh, Federalist 10 talking about this. But I just have two that I think apply so well to the situation we have right now. Um, where he talks about the first one, he says, the public good is disregarded in the conflicts of rival parties. And that measures are too often decided not according to the rules of justice and to the rights of the minor party, but by the superior force of an interested and overbearing majority. That sounds like he could be talking about Alachua County. For sure, for sure, yeah. And, and that's the point of if you have at-large voting, the majority, like you mentioned earlier, Gainesville, 53% of the voting age population in Alachua County resides in the city of Gainesville. So 53% over half over half yeah. of the voting age. Now I, I didn't go look at the actual registered voters. That's a little harder to, to, to pull, to pull out. So I just did the easy look up. So I think it's roughly just over 50% of total population, but over 18, it's 53%. And what percentage of them are voting? I guess we keep track of that in the city, very small percentage usually. Uh, but in the uh, I did. Presidential. I, presidential sorry, I did. Get I, pretty big turnout. Yeah, I, I do know if you look at the party breakdown, um, it's just under 50%. I think it's 48% is registered Democrat and like 24, 25 is registered Republican, about the same amount as independent. So if you add the Republicans and the independents together, they do outnumber the Democrats. But again, the whole point of single member districts is not about party politics. It's about representation, right? It's you want five county commissioners elected from five different districts you know accountable to five different groups of people and smaller groups and that's another thing going back same thing madison federalist 10 he says um by enlarging too much the number of electors you render the representative too little acquainted with all the local circumstances and lesser interests right so you have a district that is supposed to represent the the western part of the county, right? All the rural areas out in Newberry and Alachua and High Springs. But that person who's elected by the county at large is representing the interests of the city of Gainesville. You never hear the interests of the outlying communities brought up at the county commission. And that's exactly what's going on there. So if you have the commissioners responsible to their specific districts. Those are the people that I have to make happy in order to get reelected, right? Because basically every politician's main job is to get reelected. So they have to answer to their bosses. If you make their bosses more concrete and defined, that changes how they behave. And that's the point of single member districts. And Justin Marlowe, the mayor of Newberry, has a very good uh, commentary on this that I saw out on the public media. And he makes the point that before, let's say you and I were running against each other in the primary, and you were a Democrat and I was a Democrat, which of us would make it to the ballot would be the, whoever, whichever one of us was the most liberal and progressive. So even there, you have a diminishing opportunity to have a progressive I mean, have a sensible, if you will, or conservative Democrat. I was a good example. I was a conservative Democrat. I realized as a result of that 
that I didn't have a chance in the Democrat Party because I was they weren't going to support me. I even had the chair of the Democrat Party tell me, Ward, I will support you, but, you know, not not against one of the guys we got. In this case, it was Barley because I wasn't liberal enough. And what were the items that they were looking for me to endorse? Environment. It was it was all the, you know, the the, the far left ideology. It wasn't roads. I'll guarantee you that it wasn't. I, that was an eye opener for me. So Justin Marlowe understands this. Between the two of us, he who would be the most liberal will be the one on the ballot. I'd, I'd fall by the wayside. You never hear from me. So it's even it's it's even tipped that way. The scales are even tipped that way too. So how now? Let's, let's think about that. How does a Ken Cornell get on a ballot? Let's let's give him a benefit of the doubt and say he really is a sensible guy. Okay, in some respect. He ain't going to be on the ballot in the Democrat Party being a sensible guy. He's got to placate and play to all the people who don't live in reality or he won't be on the ballot. And then once he's on there, if he wants to stay on the ballot, he's got to play to them. Or they'll run somebody against him. He has more pressure coming from within his party than he does from outside his party as far as being on the commission days. That's the problem. Now, the Republicans don't have that problem. They're just trying to find somebody they can put up there who offers some contrast to what? Well, you're not going to offer a contrast to uh, a sensible Democrat because they didn't make it to the ballot. <laughs> so how do you do that? The only one I knew did it successfully in was Lee Pinkinson, who changed from the Republican Party to the Democrat Party, we really Republican, and actually pulled it off. But he got nothing done. He was really got nothing done until the very end when we from the Rural Concerns helped him get the fairgrounds moved to Newberry. Because the Democrat Party wanted that in East Gainesville. So I thought that was an interesting analysis by Justin Marlowe. Uh, he pointed that out, which we haven't talked about. Yeah. So, so the parties, you know, they keep coming out, especially the national press. You hear all this time about all oh, these incredibly extremist Republicans. They're moving so far right, but I don't follow this stuff on a daily basis. I actually hate it. But if you go back and you look up the Republican Party platform from the most recent election and you go back 20, 30 years, it's essentially the same. If anything, they've actually moved a little bit left. But if you look at the Democrat platform, it's unrecognizable. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's the far left has just completely taken over the party. And, and they demand complete loyalty. I mean, you used to have pro-life Democrats and they don't exist now because they're just run out. And there's a whole bunch of issues like that. They just demand complete obedience. And that just forces the party more to the left. The old Democrats who are really kind of dying off now, to tell you the truth, uh, they, were, they were able to reach across the aisle. There are a couple of them still around here that I have lunch with once in a while who lament their own party. Just what you're talking about. The own party has become radicalized, taken over, if you will, uh, by this group of people. And, and this is really what the suspense is, is it not, about the midterm election in a week to see how this turns out. Is the theory of democracy or constitutional republic actually sound? Can the common man uh, instinctively, intuitively, however you want to talk about it, because he generally doesn't have any sophisticated intellectual understanding of the process, but can he just smell a rat, you know, and bring it back to some sort of middle ground? And that. That remains to be seen. We'll, we'll, we'll find that out, I suppose. Other than that, if we don't do that, if we don't correct the extreme, and they keep trying to project the right as the extreme, but if there's any extreme on the right, it's in survival mode to react to the extreme left, is it not? Uh, you understand that. Uh, you know, which came first? It, it was the extreme left, if you trace it back historically, that came before the so-called extreme right. 
Yeah, I, I think if you look, the the founders, this is exactly the conversation they had. It's like, well, the people are sovereign. They they basically empower the government, right? The social compact. They have the right to life, liberty, and property, but but they don't want to have to defend it all the time. They want to outsource that, so they take their rights and give some of it to the government to do. Well, how best do you do that? And they they talk about it back and forth, and they say, well, you can't have. They did not want pure democracy because that just goes to anarchy immediately. So they they came up with this idea of representative government, and that goes all the way back to this whole single member district thing. The people, like I said earlier, the government is plumbing and they just they say this is your job and they expect it to get done. They don't really worry about the mechanics of it. So when they go to vote, they just want to say, "Okay, this guy's going to represent my interest. I vote for him. And now I I stop paying attention. Well, the problem is you're voting for people and people are fundamentally flawed. So even though they're your representative, they're looking out for their own interests. Right. They're, They're answerable to you only in that that district gets to reelect them, right? That you, you have the opportunity to fire them every four, two, four, six years, depending on the office. Um, and, and I think over time, if you look at the history of our country, we have moved further and further away from this concept of a constitutional republic, right? Where it's representative government, where you basically hire someone to represent your interests. And it's gone more and more to just pure democracy if you look at the the statewide election of senators, for example, as opposed to them being appointed by by the legislatures, so so you have more and more little demagogues everywhere who are just trying to appeal to a a mass electorate that they're not accountable to because it's just easy to manipulate when it's just majority rules. Yes, and then they appoint all those staff people who are kind of like appointing people to the Charter Review Commission who are not going to be anything but extensions of their will, uh, and they'll be obligated to they who appointed them, and they become the real deal makers in that place because they know uh, all the ways to get things done, and the meanwhile, the public guys take the credit for it. You know, we have a classic person in the Oval Office for that, um, never had a job, uh, really um, just stayed in the government and initially as a senator got elected out of that one little area he was from and learned the tricks of the trade and hung around and uh, almost the Peter principle, a living example of it. Uh, the ineptness gets pr- promoted up and yeah. that's where we are. Oh yeah. I mean, it's all over the place. It's almost turned into nepotism. If you look at, um, is it Iowa, I think? It's about to elect a 90-year-old senator. Basically, they're just trying to get him elected on name recognition so that when he kicks the bucket, the governor appoints his son or his grandson to replace him. It's like, and even a while back where you're just going back and forth between Clintons and Bushes in the White House, it's like it's, it's like these family dynasties. That's not how our system was set up to run. Uh, just to go back to the, the point that I made about the... Um, elector um, the senators being appointed by the legislatures instead of elected in popular elections in the states if you go back to the passage of obamacare the aca absolutely ridiculous right passed in the middle of the night in a in a a lame duck congress right after the november election before the new congress is sworn in they pass it in the middle of the night on a pure party line vote and the first thing that happened after that was like 26 states filed lawsuits against the federal government. Think about that. 26 states. That's over half the senators representing those states. So how did this thing pass if these senators are representing the interests of the states? They're not. It's all pure party politics. It's, it's all just all about obtaining power. Well, we've been telling Lenny Cabrera, hopefully you uh, enjoyed this edification, illustration, education, whatever you'd like to call it. It's... Um, a subject that I, I got to side with Len. You know, what we do is not the happiest of pursuits. Um, uh, I've kind of defaulted to doing this. There's other higher callings and messing around with politics all the time. But on the other hand, everything in your life is basically, it can be suggested, is a result of a political decision. Um, in some way, some level, you walk down the sidewalk, you uh, stop at the light, you have a school. Everything is a result of a political decision. And I think if you could sum up what we've been saying, 
is too many people abdicate their responsibility for knowing how it works and just throw their hands up and trust the uh, people to do the best for them. And that's not always the case. So I guess that's where we step in in some form or another. Lynn, we, we do. You and your wife do a lot for Chronicle. I do the Word Scott Files. So I appreciate you coming on like this, brother. And uh, we'll see what happens. Thanks so much. Have a good bike ride and take care of that cat. <laughs> All right. Warthog Command Center. Thank you, buddy. Warthog Command Center out. <laughs>